we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold let's talk finance wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot yahoo finance does just that it consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis making it easier to manage your investments Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. There wasn't much of a market reaction to this stronger than expected uh, non farm payroll report. The dollar index was only up 0.2 on the day. I think it closed the week at 96 flat. You know, that's about where the dollar was before the number was released. I think there was a little bit of a spike down in the dollar as soon as the number came out. Maybe it was just on the, the lower uh, numbers for uh, average hourly earnings. But there was a little bit of a, of a drop in the dollar, and then the dollar recovered, and it ended up about where it began the day, up slightly. Although it wasn't across the board, I noticed the Canadian dollar was very strong today. It rose eight-tenths of a percent. It closed at a 10-month high against the greenback so uh dollar to me still looks very weak and the fact that it couldn't rise given the supposed you know spin the positive spin on this non-farm payroll number i mean normally if you get a beat on the non-farm payroll number you get a big rise in the dollar not now and you know the dollar has been falling it was just off a seven month low and still we could not get a rise in the dollar also bond prices continue to fall this was a very, very uh, bad week if you are an owner of bonds worldwide. Yields are rising across the board uh, from Japan to Europe to the United States. The yield on the uh, 30-year is 2.935 in the U.S. On the 10-year, we are at 2.393. Uh, these are still low levels, historically speaking, but they're much higher than we were uh, at the beginning of the week. 
And the trend to me looks like maybe we're about to break down in the bond market and break out in yield. And I think it is the weakness in bonds and the backup in yields that is one of the reasons that the gold market has been acting as weak as it has, because there's still this perception out there, false perception, that rising interest rates are bad for gold. And maybe if you couple that with the fact that the dollar had been falling recently, but gold had not been rising, which meant that gold prices were falling in terms of other currencies. It it wasn't falling in terms of the dollar so much, but gold prices were falling in terms of other currencies. I think there might have been some breakdown in the charts there, which caused some selling based on the euro price of gold or the Aussie price of gold or the Canadian dollar price of gold. Uh, So some of those technical factors could have weighed on the dollar. Also, the fact that gold didn't catch a bid uh, when there was the the test of what the the intercontinental missile, uh, North Korea tested that missile. Gold didn't have much of a reaction. So there was a selling. In fact, early last night, I think right around the open of the Japanese market, there was a bit of a flash crash in silver. I mean, silver prices dropped abruptly. By about, I don't know, 50 cents an ounce. I mean, a big drop in, you know, like a second. Some huge seller came in there and the market quickly recovered, but then retested those lows. I mean, silver was down over 40 cents today in the U.S. market. It didn't open down that soft, but it traded lower all day and was down about 45 cents on the close. I think the low was even lower than that, but it did gain a little bit. But it hit a new 52-week low, the price of silver today. And some silver stocks also followed suit with new 52-week lows. But I have been talking about the relative strength of the gold miners in the face of this correction. And once again, the GDX, which is an index of gold stocks, was only down 1.3% on the day, which is not a big drop considering that the price of gold was down by 1% on the day. And you know the price of silver was down closer to 3% on the day. So the stocks held up relatively well. And I think this is a good sign for the reversal. Once gold prices do bottom out and reverse, you know, we're still holding above 1200 for gold. We're at 1212 We were down almost 13 bucks today. Another reason for the recent weakness in gold and silver prices has to do with the weakness in the Japanese yen. You know, while the U.S. dollar has been losing ground against other currencies— it has actually been gaining ground against the yen. And for some reason, and I'm not exactly sure why or how long this relationship is going to hold, but there has been a very close correlation between the price of gold and silver and the exchange rate between the U.S. dollar and the Japanese yen. And in fact, the yen was weak overnight, in particular because of the global rise in yields because the Bank of Japan has actually drawn a line in the sand and is targeting a JGB yields. So in other words, if the yields rise above a level where the JGB has drawn that line, it is basically committed to printing an infinite amount of Japanese yen to keep buying those JGBs to prevent interest rates from rising. Now, why is the Bank of Japan so determined to keep interest rates from rising. And that's because of the enormity of the debt that the Japanese government now has. If interest rates go up, there's simply no way to service that debt. And, you know, they would be forced into a default uh, or, you know, they would have to have runaway inflation, which it seems for now 
is the choice that they're making. And so last night, as you had all this selling in global bonds, including the JGB, you had massive intervention right, to support the bond market. That meant the printing of a lot of yen, which drove the yen down. And coincidentally, the big sell order that came into the metal markets that started in silver, uh, but also uh, to a lesser extent gold, it happened to coincide, as I said, with the opening of the Japanese market. So I don't know that that's a coincidence where you have this weakness in the Japanese yen. You have the Japanese government basically coming out of the JGB and saying, we're going to just keep printing yen. We are going to cap interest rates at this level, and we're just going to keep printing. And that was the catalyst that drove down uh, the price of silver and gold. And if the backup in yields continues, that means money printing in Japan is going to continue. And so that could potentially put more short-term downward pressure on gold and silver prices. But ultimately, I think that this relationship is going to break because if the Bank of Japan is going to destroy the yen, if they're going to keep printing and printing yen indefinitely in order to keep interest rates artificially low, they will unleash an inflationary tsunami in Japan. Forget about worrying about deflation. They'll be running about worrying about runaway inflation. And of course, Nothing could be more bullish for the price of gold than massive inflation in Japan. So even if a weak yen in the short run may be uh, bad for gold and silver based on this relationship that has been in existence, ultimately, weakening currencies are bullish for gold. And gold is not going to take its price simply from the Japanese yen. And if the Japanese yen collapses, it's not going to drag gold down with it. In fact, ultimately, a collapse in the yen is bullish for gold, as is a collapse in any fiat currency. And again, when you're measuring these fiat currencies, they're rising and falling relative to one another, but they're all sinking relative to gold. I think one of the reasons for the correlation between the yen and the gold has to do with the risk-on, risk-off trade, where both the Japanese yen and gold are seen as the safe haven assets so when people are worried and they want to take risk off, they buy gold and they buy the Japanese yen. And so that may be one of the reasons that their two have been moving together. But once they start to move together and they form this relationship, traders start to key off it. And so all of a sudden, if they see weakness in the yen, they sell gold. Or if they see strength in the yen, they buy gold or maybe vice versa. It's hard to tell what is the horse and what is the buggy in that relationship. But... I think that this has a lot to do with the correlation and eventually it's going to snap because just because the yen loses its safe haven status doesn't mean that gold will. And in fact, in the long run, if gold is the last safe haven standing, and I never quite understood why the yen was a safe haven in the first place, but once people no longer have an alternative safe haven to gold, if gold is the only safe haven standing, then that's obviously positive for gold. I mean, one of the reasons that the yen may be uh, the safe haven is that it's a carry currency, right? People are borrowing yen in order to buy higher-yielding assets or in order to buy stocks. So when they get nervous about the stock market, maybe they sell uh, some stocks and buy back the yen that they shorted. So it's a carry currency. But nobody is carrying with gold. People aren't shorting gold. At least I don't think people are this dumb, shorting gold in order to buy other assets the way they might short the yen to buy other assets. But when they want to unwind those risky bets and take that risk off, 
they end up buying yen. But if this relationship breaks down, if people start to worry about the yen because of excess money printing in order to artificially cap the yields in Japan, then the yen will no longer be a safe haven and it will just leave gold. So while this relationship could be bearish in the short run, ultimately it could be very, very bullish in the long run for gold. But rising interest rates are not negative for gold. I mean, the main reason that interest rates are rising around the world is because inflation is picking up around the world. Higher inflation is positive for gold. I mean, it is the most bullish thing for gold. And in fact, when inflation rates are rising, that means that money is buying less, right? The purchasing power of money is going down. And that's when you want to own gold. Because when the purchasing power of fiat money is going down, it's going down relative to something like gold. Gold is where you want to be when fiat currencies are losing value. And that is exactly what's happening when you have inflation. Same thing with the bond market, right? Higher inflation drives down the value of bonds. See, bonds have a coupon, right? You buy a bond and you're fixed with a coupon for the life of that bond. Well, as inflation increases, it erodes the value of that coupon. It also erodes the value of the principal, which isn't going to be repaid for 10 years or you know, potentially longer, 30 years, if you're talking about a 30-year treasury. So as inflation accelerates, it erodes away the value of bonds. Well, when bonds are losing value, that is bullish for gold because gold is something that you would own as an alternative to bonds, right? If you are a central bank and you're holding a lot of U.S. treasuries or you're holding a lot of German bunds or JGBs, and those bond prices start losing value and you want to get rid of them to avoid bigger losses, what are you going to buy? You're going to buy gold. So a bear market in bonds is bullish for gold. But for some reason, everybody just thinks, well, if interest rates are going up, that just makes gold less attractive because you're giving up or the opportunity cost. It makes bonds less attractive because bonds are falling in value. It makes currency less attractive because interest rates are rising because currency is losing value. But gold won't be losing value. Gold is going to be storing value. And again, even if you're going to make the argument that uh, there is an opportunity cost of owning gold because you give up the interest rate, it's the real interest rate that you give up. It's not the nominal interest rate. It's what is the interest rate? How much does it exceed the inflation rate? And if inflation is rising, and if it's rising faster than bond yields, then real rates are falling. And that only increases the appeal of gold. But the other reason that rising interest rates are so bullish for gold is because they're bearish for the economy, particularly the economy of the United States. If you are a country that depends on debt, if you borrow a lot of money and interest rates go up, what does that mean? That means you're in trouble. That means the cost of servicing your debt goes up. The, the income that you need to divert to debt service goes up, which means you have less money for other things. And so the economy suffers as a result of rising interest rates. And if rising interest rates push the economy into recession, what does that mean? That means more government spending. That means bigger deficits. That means more inflation. In fact, that means that the Fed might cut interest rates even as inflation is rising, which means that the real rate is going to fall even faster. And of course, higher interest rates are negative for the stock market for a number of reasons. 
But, you know, the Federal Reserve, of course, now they're, they're, they're concerned, somewhat concerned about stock valuations. And there are people that are saying, well, the Fed is going to keep raising rates until the stock market goes down. But, of course, if it goes down too much, they're going to have to cut them all over again. I mean, it's not like they can just, you know, prick a little hole in this bubble and most of the air is going to stay in it. The minute they prick a hole in it, all the air is going to come out of it. So, you know, it's like, uh, be careful what you wish for. If the Fed really is hoping to drive down the stock market, they're going to succeed uh, to a much greater degree than they anticipate. And then they're going to have to come to the rescue of the stock market. Of course, to the extent that they can blame it all on Trump, then that, you know, is a bit of a get out of jail free card for them because they can say, oh, well, we got to save the market. We got to save the economy because of all these these terrible things that Trump did. But rising interest rates hurt the stock market in many, many ways. I mean, one is simply because stocks are the present value of their future income. And the present value of any income stream is lower the higher the rate of interest that you discount that cash flow by. So by definition, higher interest rates brings down the present value of stocks. And also, stocks are an alternative to bonds. And so as bond yields go up, you know, stocks now have to yield more to compete with bonds. You know, PEs are always going to be a function of interest rates, right? The lower the interest rates are, the higher the multiple that the stock market can support. But also, you have to look at corporations that also have debt. You have a lot of U.S. corporations that are loaded up with debt. They have to pay interest on that debt. A lot of that debt was accumulated just buying back stock. And so if interest rates go up and now corporations have to devote more of their revenue to debt service, that means their profits go down because paying interest on your debt is a cost, right? It reduces your profits. So now your earnings per share are going down because you have to pay more of your earnings in interest expense. And so you have less profit left over for the stockholders. So it pushes down the profit. So not only are you discounting the those revenues by a larger number, there's less revenue to discount because more of the revenue has been diverted to make interest on the bond payments. And also, a lot of customers of corporations also have a lot of debt. And so if they're having to spend more money servicing their debt, they have less money left over to spend on the goods and services provided by other companies. So there's so many reasons that higher interest rates are going to be a negative for the stock market. I think the only reason that it hasn't been a bigger negative yet is because of the unwarranted enthusiasm that surrounded the election of Donald Trump and the anticipation of all this fiscal stimulus and all this deregulation. And I think that created one last sucker's rally in the market. And it's already running out of steam. You know, if you look at what's happening with some of the Nasdaq stocks, you know, Tesla now briefly uh, moved into a bear market territory. It was it declined 20 percent from its high. And I think it only took about eight trading days uh, to move into a bear market. And there's a lot of other stocks. Now, the Nasdaq was up today, was up about 63 points, but it was only up about 13 points on the week. So without today's rally, the Nasdaq would have been negative on the week. But there are a lot of big favorite stocks, you know, these FANG stocks they talk about. A lot of these stocks are starting to break down. And I mentioned, you know, a canary in a coal mine event potentially was that IPO of Blue Apron Holdings. I mentioned that thing. And this is just getting worse. Blue Apron is already in a bear market. It only took five days for the stock to go from IPO to bear market. Uh, it came out at 10 bucks. Within the first hour or so, it rallied to 11 bucks. 
And today it closed at 773. The low was 736. So we're down, what, 23% now from the IPO price. We're down better than 30% from the high price, that interday high. But this is a big drop in really just, just over one full week of trading. And this could be very problematic for Wall Street because there are a lot of other companies that are waiting to go public and they're going to have a tough time because this was a Wall Street darling. I mean, they loved this company. There was a lot of hype. And of course, it all fizzled out because the day that they went public, they were supposed to price this thing at, I think, 16 or $17 a share. And they only could do it at 10 bucks. But that meant the company didn't raise nearly as much money as they thought they were going to raise. They raised $300 million. They were They thought they were going to raise $450, closer to $500 million. And they needed that money because they're burning through it uh, very quickly. You know, they're, I think they lost its $50 million they lost in the last quarter, which is what they lost in the entire preceding year. They are spending a tremendous amount of money to try to acquire customers, and they're not even retaining them. So they are, they are a cash-burning machine, and they don't have enough cash to burn. I read an article today that they're probably going to have to do a secondary offering within the next year because they're going to blow through the $300 million they just raised. Now, that is going to be a tough sell. I mean, if this stock keeps falling... How are they going to do a secondary? Who's going to buy more shares when the investors who bought the, the last round uh, lost lost so much weight? They're going to have a second down round? I mentioned the IPO was already a down round because they had private money invested at a higher valuation than the $10 IPO. Now they're going to do another down round to raise even more money to replace the money they just lost? This is going to be hard. Now, maybe they can get money from the bank. They can go out and borrow money, but then you know you lever this company up I mean, they can go bankrupt. Now, I remember a few years ago, there was this um, grocery chain in New York City that had an IPO in 2013, went public. And actually, that company had a a 33% pop on its first day as a public traded company. So it actually had a better debut than did Blue Apron. But within three years, that company filed for bankruptcy. They went from IPO to bankruptcy in just three years. Now, I don't know if Blue Apron is going to be able to beat that because they can obviously change up their marketing strategy and you know not spend as much money on advertising. They have a lot of cash. So if they, if they dramatically shift what they're planning on doing, then that might not happen. But if they're just going to go pedal to the metal and they're going to keep on spending like they're spending now, and, and then they're going to lever the company up because it'll be hard for them to get New capital. I mean, it could it could be bankrupt in a few years. Yeah, it was Fairway Holdings was the name of the uh, New York grocer that went from IPO to bankruptcy in in three years. So you know maybe uh, Blue Apron will avoid that fate. But the bigger issue is not just Blue Apron, but there was so much hype around this stock, and instead of a pop, it was a complete flop. And this thing is still falling in price. You know, there's all these private companies that are sporting these high valuations that we're looking forward to IPOs. And if that market seems to be drying up, what is going to happen to that pipeline? And again, you know, there's a lot of people being employed. I mentioned on my last podcast or the podcast when I talked about this, they got over 5,000 employees at Blue Apron. Maybe they got to start laying some off. I mean, that's a lot of employees to have, but there's probably a lot of people employed in a lot of these companies that have these high valuations that are looking for an exit on Wall Street. And if those exits are closed, then they're going to have to rethink their strategies. They're going to have to stop hemorrhaging money and start trying a way to shore up 
uh, their balance sheets and try to minimize their losses, which means minimizing the headcount. But also, you know, Wall Street generates a lot of revenue through these IPOs. And if they're going to dry up, well, the revenue dries up. And it also is a barometer of the market, right? Because the speculative froth is coming out of the market. Believe me, it's not just the blue aprons that are speculative. I mean, you're talking about, you know, that maybe is the most, right, the most extreme. But remember how the mortgage market melted down, right? It started with subprime. It started with the weakest links in the chain. And then eventually the whole market succumbed. I mean, in fact, if you go back to the bursting of the stock market bubble in 2000, the tech stocks, the Internet stocks collapsed first. The NASDAQ, then the, the, the NASDAQ collapsed. But the S&P didn't collapse until much later. In fact, it almost made a new high. Even after we had a whole initial bloodbath in the dot-coms and a lot of these stocks, you almost made new highs. People were shrugging it off. But it was just a harbinger of things to come, right? They just go up the food chain. They went with the, the weakest links. They went with the most speculative stocks, got killed first. You know, they're all saying, you know, when they, they raid the whorehouse, they take everybody, including the piano player. Well, you know, they're going, they're going after the piano player. So it's a good sign that this is just the beginning of a, of a much bigger and across-the-board decline in the stock market and seeing this disaster of an IPO. And this is probably going to go down. This is probably one of the worst IPOs in Wall Street history based on how much excitement there was. And it this. Now, probably a lot of this died because of the Amazon uh, Whole Foods deal. I mean, I'm sure if that deal had not happened, then this IPO would have gone a different way. I think there would have been more enthusiasm. But even without the potential competition from Amazon Whole Foods, I mean, they still have lots of competition from other companies that do the exact same thing as Blue Apron. I mean, they don't have this market to themselves. There are plenty of companies doing exactly what they're doing. And of course, any local supermarket with a website can do the same thing too. I mean, anybody can deliver ingredients along with a recipe. Uh, so it was going to be very competitive. But I think the, the prospect of competing with Amazon Whole Foods was a real shock. But, you know, whatever the catalyst was, this could end up being a bell ringing type moment that there's a problem. So you got a problem in the stock market. The economy continues to weaken. I mean, the, these the job numbers that we got today, these are the same old crappy jobs numbers that we've been getting all along. And But if you look at the rest of the economy, look at the real economy, look at the numbers that were coming out on auto sales, uh, auto inventories, look at the retailers. I mean, all the evidence suggests that the economy is on the brink of recession or already there. So you have the economy weakening. You have signs that the stock market is weakening. Yet the Fed is still talking about more rate hikes, quantitative tightening. It's only a matter of time before the markets figure this out, before the Fed is going to have to come clean and admit that the economy has got a problem. Now they can blame it on Trump. Yep, that's how they, that's how they, that's how they can save face and try to take the heat off them. But this is coming. And the weakness that we're seeing in the dollar, the weakness that we're seeing in the bond market, this is all more evidence that something is going to change. The only thing that hasn't actually happened yet is the price of gold. The price of gold is still not breaking out. In fact, it's, you know, look at silver is breaking down. But I think that's really going to be the last piece of the puzzle. When we have the dollar going down, when we have bonds going down, and when we have gold going up all at the same time, that's pretty much the sign that the end is near. And the stock market may be the last piece to, you know, to really come apart. 
you know, it might take those three things happening to really pop the stock market. But again, once the stock market shows some significant weakness, see, the Fed can talk all at once about pretending to be worried about asset prices. But the minute we see any significant weakness in the stock market, I think the Fed is going to come to its rescue. I don't know that the Fed is going to allow the market to collapse unless it's prepared to do that only only because it can blame it on Trump, which is possible, which is a risk that's out there. And I think if a lot of people in the stock market think, well, there's a yell and put, they may not be correct. There may not be a yell and put, or that put may not be exercised until uh, the Fed thinks that there's been enough damage politically to the Republicans or to Donald Trump. Maybe they won't do anything until after the midterm. So that 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 put, you know, there might be... Um, a, a lot of gap between where the exercise price is. So there could be a lot of complacency because Yellen may not be there the way she was for Obama. And, you know, it's not necessarily the way uh, Greenspan, the whole idea of the, the put was started by Greenspan. That's where uh, everybody thought the Fed had their back. But, you know, we had a huge drop in the stock market in 2008. Of course, Ben Bernanke had replaced uh, Greenspan by then, and he didn't exercise that put. Look how much carnage there was in the market before the Bernanke put, uh, you know, was actually actually kicked in. So we'll see what happens. But then we get the stock market going down. We get the economy in recession. We get interest rates rising. We get the price of gold going up. All four of those things could be happening simultaneously. But of course, you don't want to wait for that. You don't want to wait for that to happen. You want to make sure that you've got your uh you know, your portfolio properly positioned, make sure you have your economic house in order. Don't wait for all four of those things to be going on, because when they are going on, I think the pace of these moves is going to get bigger and bigger. And ultimately, as I've been saying, the end game is an all out dollar crisis. I I don't see any other way that this movie ends other than a dollar crisis. And I do believe that a dollar crisis will be infinitely worse than the garden uh, variety uh, financial crisis that we had last time. And as bad as the financial crisis was, and you know, when Janet Yellen says, I don't think we're going to see another financial crisis in my lifetime, maybe she's right, because the next one isn't just a financial crisis, it is a dollar crisis. And of course, it's going to affect financials, but it's not going to be the same type of crisis because it's the government itself. It's government debt that is suspect. It's the government's ability to continue to run this Ponzi scheme financing that comes to an end. It's the faith in the fiat monetary system that's going to be in jeopardy here. So in a way, that's a financial crisis, but it's also much bigger than a financial crisis. And the impacts are going to be much more profound, not just for investors, but for everybody, but for, for Americans that have no money in the stock market, that don't own houses, they will be more heavily impacted by a dollar crisis because everybody earns dollars. If you live in America and you collect a paycheck, that paycheck is in dollars. And if there's a dollar crisis, if the dollar is collapsing in value, then that's affecting you and it affects you in a broad, profound way. And it is going to be a much bigger event in the scheme of American history than was the financial crisis of 2008. That was the warm up. What we're about to go through is the main event. 